Welcome to Team Rabbit Hole Edition 199, Remystifying the Mundane with Charles McMillan. He's heard a number of Team Rabbit Hole podcasts and wants to get in on the action. Join the team as we get to know this Sagittarius and his thoughts on life, the internet age, and a whole slew of things. Welcome. I specifically wrote tings because it's sassy. But anyway, what up, Charles? What's up, what's up? Uh, I think it's kind of interesting. You know, the, the double Sag is uh, brought on by the double Gemini, you know, with the, the Libra abreast. Oh, no, it's funny. I'll talk about it probably at some point. Uh, our charts, uh, you're in the 11th house on the moon, um, as am I. Uh, but you like are in exact opposition to me in terms of Sagittarius is on the opposite side of the zodiac as to Gemini. So Gemini is kind of a student, whereas uh, Sag is a teacher, essentially, that dynamic, um, the angel versus God or something like that. Um, and also you had something else I was looking at a minute ago. I think you're, um, you had some Capricorn energy and I've got some Cancer energy, which is also opposite. So a few interesting – I mean I'm not going to say you're my nemesis. It's not quite like that. But it's like we're playing on opposite sides of the uh, roulette table for sure. Um, in some ways, it's fascinating that uh, I don't even know how I know you. Uh, it's the internet kind of thing. I've, I'm sure I'm mean. I page. Oh, okay. Lay it on me. What's up? How did we uh, stumble upon it each other? It was uh, – what is it? It's, you know, the Venn diagrams of uh, uh, mutuals, I guess. You know, because it started with uh, – what is it? Cassius pseudonym dimethyl, you know. Who I oh, guess shit. You, this you, is yeah, a hot you minute him, ago. Him. Yeah. No, like I've had you added probably since like 2016 or 17, you know, and so I've been kind of like a periphery uh, observer for a while. <laughs> right. So, I mean, just for context, uh, Cassius, I think this is the same kid um, that I'm thinking about, uh, was in a group, a Google Hangouts group that I was in, um, actually with a few people, one of which lived with me at one point, Liz, uh, but Marissa Brenazier, she's, I'm trying to get her on the podcast. She's kind of in a funk right now. So we're working through that or, and scheduling and all this kind of stuff. But anyway, all these other people, um, were in this group, Cassius was in it and he was like, I mean, this is at a point where I was like probably in 2015, uh, when that group was happening and like once a night, once a week, whatever, we'd go into Google chats. Um, I was probably tripping once a week on acid and being very trickstery. And Cash was just like getting on soapboxes and raging against the machine. He's probably feeling very justified with the situation right now. Um, it's a very different world we live in currently. But uh, yeah, okay, so that's how we know each other. And it doesn't surprise me. Like Facebook's like that, many cross pollinizations. Yeah, yeah. But before we get too deep down into all this stuff, I just realized we might as well talk about the episode uh, card correlations. So it is episode 199. You're the last monkey in the whole 100 set. Uh, and 199 reduces actually down to one, which is the Magician card. Uh, in this deck, it's actually the Starman. But it says, I will blow your mind. Uh, the Starman or the Alchemist is about manifesting your reality. Ideas are communicated and brought into the physical world with ease. You have everything you need to create the world you desire. Reconfigure yourself in liberating, expressive, and complex ways. Raphael, what is the Angel card? We got the Angel number 13. It is the angel Yezalel. It is the angel of fidelity, loyalty, and allegiance. How nice. 
This angel helps with friendships and martial happiness. I'm just thinking about how many uh, meanings of the word martial. Anyhow, help provide easy understanding of all situation. It is the Dies Super Omnia Decantabilis, which is the god sung above all of the cherubim, the associations in tarot are the Eight of Swords, Gemini, Jupiter, Air, Hokma, Musical Note D, the affirmation goes, I go deep inside to seek peace and allow my inner voice to direct me. Well, oh, I'm kind of curious what resonates, but just right off the bat, when he said Gemini card, but with Jupiter, there's more sad Gemini yeah, yeah. stuff. Anyway, conscious yours, just, what did you hear? Since you mentioned that, and I was almost about to mention it, you know, there are calculations, I guess, different systems. The main system I use, again, is Faith, Javain, Dusty, Bunker, Divine, Triangle. And there I have a life lesson card, which is a number, which is supposedly the most important. And in my case, it's a 62, which is reverse of 26. Um, but also in the tarot is the eight of swords and that is that angel and that is yeah gemini jupiter well anyways uh, continue so we're all at the table huh the magician's table all right well i mean that kind of lines up really you know i guess these things are designed to kind of line up but i guess that particularly lines up with um my ethos for the last year um the because you know I, I had my second jupiter return i guess earlier this year close to it. I think when Pluto and Saturn were getting close to each other um, the the magician archetype I'm familiar with the uh, like stories of old I guess yeah you've thrown them out around a little bit of uh, their channel really stuff I really like the archetype uh, episode uh, as far as the magician um, that that goes easily into the remystifying the mundane, um, you know, nice little set of words uh, that I, it's kind of my, my project as it were, you know, rekindling wonder in other people through uh, articulating what exactly is going on in kind of a McKennian sense, even because, you know, he was just ninja. good job. Yeah, Cause he would just talk about, he'd just like, rattle off some stuff about uh like something he read in the scientific american edition for you know over the last months and then like try to square that with um you know like his overall <laughs> view of the world his house is a he's a uh scorpio with a virgo moon but his son is in third house so very mercurial right very bardish very good with words poetic at that level um we've had rupert sheldrake on which was kind of cool uh, i hope to get him back on again and shoot the shit with him in more of a way that Daniel he used to jam. Say what? So the, the guy with the band Centauk, right? Uh, yeah, that's one of the things he's known for. He's he's an author before that, and he was kind of a crony of McKenna. But uh, as far as this episode's resonating goes, like, yeah, the magician card, I mean, it's taking the mundane, i.e., here's a sword, here's a cup, here's a pentacle, here's a, you know, staff or whatever, a wand, and this is what you're made of up elementally as above so below kind of has an ouroboros belt in the rider weight deck all this kind of stuff so very much like heavy magic but it's like coming it's like do you want to be deconstructed solway coagula right do you want to solve who you are by splintering yourself into your constituent parts and then reestablishing through a process of gnosis so not terribly uh you know surprised that this card would come up for your episode so before we kind of like get 
Kind of like an esoteric rewording of, uh, like, I guess the modern versus the postmodern, yeah? Very potentially. Um, and it's weird. I think we're even metamodern now. It's like, I, I mean, I'm not one to keep abreast on philosophical, like, you know, academic definitions of where we're at. But Well uh, on our way, yeah. Yeah, I think we've kind of, we're in a new zone altogether now. But um, before we go down too many rabbit holes, I'm kind of curious, just kind of fill us in, like, who are you? Where did you grow up? What culture are you part of? When did you start waking up to cool shit? Um, you know, it seems like you're, uh, of the internet. Age. I mean, I'm a millennial technically, but it's like, you're kind of jamming on all cylinders on the, uh, internet front. So kind of fills in on your, uh, story, if you will. Uh, I guess in a, to try and be measured, I guess, with that, with that, um, I was born in Guam, uh, to two Navy medical folks, you know, I'm a military brat. Uh, I'm a, unwilling military fetishist of sorts. You know, I see jet planes flying by and kind of feel good. Um, I have been all around the U.S., you know, because when you're an enlistee, uh, you and your family move around um, every two, three years. So I started in Guam, went to South Carolina, then Houston, Texas, then Chicago, Illinois, then Washington State, and then landed back here in Texas as the military career wound down. Um, but over that time, you know, you kind of as Navy medical, as a child of Navy medical, you kind of like absorb some of the uh, trauma that leaches off of a combat veteran, you know? Um, and so as, I guess as a co late content warning, um, death, gore, self-harm, uh, and a couple other items can probably come up in this, you know, as part of the dissolution matrix, right? Um, Were they the, pushing militarism and like kind of a worldview on you, or how strict was that situation? I mean, or is it like fucking this is my gun, does not like you know, full metal jacket life, or how did you cope with the whole situation? Were you kind of the quiet poet on the side, or how'd that work? It's kind of like trying to be a tether, I guess. Um, it, it was bad to the point where um, I guess any pretty much any combat veteran that um, comes out himself will tell their children for, you know, at all costs, do not join the military. PTSD's a bitch, and they try to set that, you know, I, I don't know, but it sounds like they're like, yo, don't, don't do what I did necessarily. Yeah, yeah, no, in a, in a big way. Um, you know, I, I've only had one dream remotely close to what my dad has um and uh you know it, it leaves you shaken for a bit you know he wakes up at three in the morning most days you know to nightmares but you should you know, sign up for you know, some psychedelic research like mdma or mushrooms or something yeah he um he's also I'm, I'm also trying to dissolve that in him actually that's part of my magician project because he grew up in a household with all of that but it also had the the negative side effect of being like him and his three siblings like uh, dramatically neglected i guess um but my grandma got to see her side of the the rabbit hole in a big way you know like one of her friends was actually like tim leary's lab assistant you know she's from the northeast jesus christ so uh, i mean in a weird way 
they were doing the whole full-on hippie, let's dose all the time thing, seemingly. And yeah, maybe yeah, like, the kids were like, fuck Vermont, this, we're going to go me modern. They had the recipe for the, like, pure shit, you know, that they were making in the kitchen. Um, they, you know, it was it was a crazy time. I think she, she claims that she, like, changed one of Bob Marley's son's diapers at one point, you know? That's what's up. So, I mean, the pendulum swings. She's obviously, you know, going to be more open-minded, psychedelic, etc. Maybe you're dad on the yeah the, the, the sad for me oh she's a savage that doesn't surprise me jim morrison was a sagittarius for example although he didn't do drugs um but yeah like the pendulum swings more you know liberal open-minded hippie culture begets more you know 80s reagan era people generally yeah well yeah he he needed order i guess you know so like seeing where he went and couldn't fully come back from you know my project now is a I guess carry on the torch of my like namesake, which was his grandfather, you know, to like probably guide him to some kind of, you know, peace and or rest. <laughs> Nothing so gets too heavy. You know, shit. Go ahead. Uh, I guess you know it gets really heavy really quick. You know, I'm not sitting here. To- attention <laughs> to the therapy couch sometimes it's all good i've i've used episodes before been like man i really want to drink or whatever it's it's whatever yeah all i can say is uh, thank you for sharing we don't need to go into anything of course you don't want to i just find it fascinating that number one thanks for sharing in terms of military background i'm it's maybe kind of stupid to say but in a sense wondering really because it's not like you know war has been invented yesterday and there have been waves and waves of wars oftentimes also at least led by the u.s or fought by the u.s or u.s citizens let's say and i'm just kind of i don't know just confused how it's even possible that you have these waves even like first world war you know it's plenty for me and then second whatever and then and then vietnam and whatever and people keep going there keep coming back it goes as far if you watch some project camelot as to some people especially with war there's often also some strange alien et activity at the very least let's say along with potentially all kinds of brainwashing experiments and who knows what i mean brainwashing is a topic yeah i guess it's a it's a reason they call it you know the theater of war right but what i just want to say is that how it's kind of incredible to me to think there have been thousands and thousands coming back let's say after vietnam and obviously they have PTSD, get, get, they get drugged up. That's a whole other scam and scheme, you know, involving certain factions of the government, drug lords, whatever, international deals, geopolitics, all of that. But you then keep your own population sedated. And um, yeah, how could any of their children ever consider joining the military again? I kind of have a disconnector. Can you maybe explain that a bit? Uh, you see kind of what I'm saying, because it's been proven so strongly that it's so appalling. You have so many people coming back, obviously having the worst time of their life. I mean, he would never be they interested. Why would push this horror show on? To let them me understand for ideology and so on. To, but uh, yeah, please. Let me try to precipitate, I guess, the the nebula. Um, the because there's a lot going on in that. You know, we're we're a composite of, I guess, social and artistic artifacts as well as, you know, our own experiences. Um, you know, the, I guess, before the Civil War, um, everyone kind of saw it as like a, a duty to your country. You know, it was a very like modern, um, it was even somewhat reminiscent of like a, a rite of passage in 
Western society to go to war and to come back. You know, um, you had to be hard to be a, a man, right? Um, and there was kind of also this leftover element of like the chivalric knight, you know, going out to face the um, the worthy foe, you know, to come back vindicated and worthy, right? Um, and so you have these ideals that sent these people out, you know, their duty to their country and this idea that you can be a hero in the eyes of, you know, your family and community, um, which is still, you know, alive and strong in a lot of places in the heartland of the United States. Um, hence, you still have people enlisting. Um, but the, and I'm, I'm kind of like falling off the track here with my thoughts. Um, whatever. Yeah, no, it seems like nationalism was like more in vogue for a long time. And the Vietnam War really kind of smacked us in the face with like, what are we doing? (laughs) All right. I'm back on the track. It's um, no, but even back in the, in the, uh, in the civil war, you know, like in that first battle, uh, um, people were having picnics on the hill to like watch it happen, you know, because it was, um, which is crazy. I don't know if Raphael knows. Yeah, that. people yeah. were having picnics to watch people get like cannonballed or They're whatever like, the oh, fuck. Yeah, it was like, uh, you know, people will fucking fire off some, you know, some shots, but no one's gonna get seriously hurt or eviscerated or, yeah. I wonder how many of them they, got hit with like it. shrapnel or whatever. They saw the, yeah, that's another question I had actually. But you know, they saw the, like a glimpse of what I call the beast. I guess you know, it's it's a very, like elemental. Um, uh, idea. The um, but now you know, as especially with the Vietnam War, the Vietnam War is probably the last one that got like majorly televised. You know, it was the last time you, um, I guess we're exposed to shit like my lie. Can I can I curse in this? I'm, I'm sorry. No, dude. I'm sorry. I don't give a shit. Okay. <laughs> All right. We're <laughs> hey, well So. So like the Vietnam War with uh Myla, you know, you you had these vi- this village that was like ordered destroyed even though it was only civilians, you know, and you had these guys, you know, follow the order. You know, you had art back home where they were kind of aware of this and so you had these like this idea that, you know, these this once like hero figure is now, you know, transformed into like the you know, the card reversed baby killer, you know. <laughs> um and so the you know, the I guess the public notion of it is evolving, but you still have remnants, I guess, of the you still have remnants of the old way of the of the the traditional aspects. You know, because because society doesn't it's not a, a monolith. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of cultural inertia vying for your opinion. Right, and the funny thing about like World War Two. I mean, not many, not many people were against it, you know, like Elvis enlisted or whatever the fuck is going on with all these things. I don't know if that was World War II or the Korean War, but like people were all about it because they looked at it as an existential necessity. Elvis was younger than that. Uh, yeah, maybe I'm thinking of Joe Namath or, or not Joe Namath, uh, some baseball player. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter who. If celebrities were, you know, doing the war tours or whatever uh, in World War II, kind of it was expected. It was an existential issue more. Um, with you know nationalism and kind of what was going on there in that theater of reality, uh, by the time you get, uh, but that you know between World War One and World War Two, people were having like 
the sheen, I guess, of modernity start wearing off and they start to question why are we doing this? Like, do we know, especially with after World War One, like, you know, it's very much um, us and them, like Pink Floyd. It's like four, they cry from the rear, you know, the generals are like, go die. And like, you got, you know, entire generations of people dying for really petty decisions, potentially. That became much more apparent, um, especially post-beatnik, post-psychedelics, essentially, cannabis and uh, LSD and stuff. Uh, so when yeah, you just on the other side of it. Yeah, I mean, what, the counterculture, like what you're saying, there was a um, a distrust in media. You start seeing the brutality of it. It wasn't so much like, and now the Nazis take that from Uncle Sam. It wasn't so much like that. I was like, oh shit, like this is happening. People are being napalmed, which is like, my brother was just telling me the other night how uh, it's not so much that people burned to death and that they did, but it's like it's such an um, a conflagration. The heat's so crazy that it sucks all the oxygen out of the air. So basically, you just suffocate, which is like, what the fuck are we doing? Well, yeah, that was a that, that happened in World War II with the bombing of Dresden as well. You know, they bombed it so hard that uh, I think the the story goes that enough oxygen was sucked out of the air for like a five mile radius that people fleeing suffocated. Yeah, and just because you bring up Dresden, and that's such a great trigger point. I mean, I'm not getting into any details now, but just as I understand, it was let's just say not necessary to completely carpet bomb a city in terms of military war objectives. However, this is another Tartaria reset rabbit hole because it may well be that this was one of the places which had the most astounding, amazing architecture and who know what else. So as always, you know, it's does well to look beyond the presented reasons for why something uh, occurred, especially in war, because as I understand, usually, if not actually always, it's about the rewriting of history. That's what's actually important. And that includes, of course, the destruction of cultural and uh, religious artifacts, just as with the destruction of, you know, great Buddha statues in Afghanistan or whatever. Right. And it's funny because when my brother was telling me, I don't know why the napalm came up. I think we're, we have a fireplace here and we're making a fire. He's like, this shit's too hot. I can't get close. Oh, here's a story. Um, but basically the idea was like uh, – People, the military industrial complex essentially that Eisenhower warned against um, had this premise where they were like, you know what, it's a lot easier to just annihilate and start from scratch than try to work with locals. And, you know, it, that's going to take a lot longer, be a lot more, you know, less quote effective. So that's kind of the philosophy there. So it would be interesting to see kind of the hearts and minds of people when they're making these decisions to just kind of carpet bomb places but we don't have to dwell too i mean on this military stuff i'm just kind of curious we've gone down a rabbit hole with this we could talk about whatever you want so um you grew up a military brat you seems like you've been more like i mean except for maybe the washington state situation um more kind of probably christian republican vibed areas texas for sure um what like when did you start differentiating and becoming kind of a psychonaut slash philosopher type uh that doesn't just go with the you know the, the goose stepping or whatever probably pretty early just because of the moving around and being like completely uprooted and replanted so many times you know um and what so was I your solace like, like music or art or like books did you read a bunch uh i used to read those magic treehouse books as a kid but i mean my my solace was probably um uh you know the very boring uh, answer of <laughs> sitting down and just like contemplating or doing my homework, you know, because um, I actually have like a like a mild cognitive disability where I just like do things and think things slower, you know. And so, um, it's got um, a name. 
No, it's just, no, it's, I just took like a psychometric exam, you know, where it tested different, like, um, what's the word, different cognitive abilities and different, like, you know, your verbal IQ, your ability to express yourself and understand others and, you know, grok certain terms, you know, and understand the syntax and the whatever, right? Um, there's the reaction speed, there's the cognitive speed, there's, um, I think, like stratagem. Um, but yeah, my, I'm like a one in 2000 anomaly where my, um, my verbal IQ for, you know, words and stuff is five standard deviations apart from my thinking speed. And you asked to be on the podcast with the double Gemini and a Libra. I mean, when you first mentioned this, I was kind of chuckling and I thought to myself first, like, well, I guess like many people are suffering from some kind of disconnect between some of their abilities. I mean, if you have tested it out, at least one can assume that there is some semblance of an expression where this could be noticeable. However, at least to me, you're perfectly cogent. So yeah, good job for being supposedly five standard well, deviations, you. You know, quote unquote, was, you know, was... dumber or whatever, or desynchronized, let's just say. Yeah, it and being cogent was actually part of the crux of it because it wasn't caught until my girlfriend who's getting, you know, who got trained in education and to identify disabilities as a teacher um, caught it in my senior year of undergrad. What was your major? So Civil engineering. Ooh, interesting. So you were totally trying yes. to like make dams and like rec centers and like what was the goal there? Well, kind of. I, <laughs> um, the goal was an amalgamate of things where um, my grandfather and my great grandfather were both civil engineers. Um, I wanted to kind of like become functionally versed in the exoteric as well as the esoteric. Um, and I have this like Noah's Ark compulsion set of words where I have to build the temple, but I don't know what the temple is. If you build it, they will come kind of thing. You're just like, shit, I don't know what I'm doing, but I got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know what it is. You know, I just, I know uh, I have like a vague idea of the tools I have to pick up as I like, snowball towards this like you know uh item so you know that's all i got go ahead. um if you gra so you graduated you got through all that rigmarole i didn't even do that i'm i think R Raphael did the degree thing i just dropped out of a bunch of universities for Dude, it, fucking hurt. it hurt <laughs> i wish i had done it man i wouldn't have suffered nearly as much but at the same time i probably wouldn't be who i am now so it's kind of like john the baptist if, life if you wouldn't have dropped out you mean yeah, if I hadn't dropped out, I would be... Well, some of the some best of people I know are art history dropouts, let me tell you. Well, I'm not hating, but the point is, the trajectory was very much altered. McKenna <laughs> was an art history dropout. He said as much in one of the things I was listening to. I and do you think got his you thing would have in a, science or something. Like do you think, natural science. Do you think Jim, you would have a high-paying job as a museum curator now otherwise? Just asking. No. I mean, the whole tenet behind my taking art history was like, I mean, I'm a musician and obviously I like kind of talking and thinking and shooting the shit and watching the history of thought through creativity really got me off and inspired me in my own dominion of creativity. So it wasn't so much like I wanted to be a curator at all. I mean, there's a beauty to museums and stuff, but I would probably get bored. I don't know. There's a lot of levels to it. Teaching's fun, but I'm not, I don't have patience, that kind of stuff. So 
Um, anyway, enough about me. Uh, you graduated, you got the paper, that's what's up. Um, what, you don't what... need a degree for the art history anyway. No, you don't. You can just appreciate it. Um, yeah, like I said, I, it was a, it was this was like in 2007, 8, 9, when I was just like, well, I'm out of high school and I have been working at Quiznos for a year and be developing alcoholism, so maybe I should do something else. Uh, but this is, you know, um, just whatever, coming of age, I wouldn't put it on anybody else, but it seems like it, hopefully it all panned out right. Like, I mean, at some level, I might have more of a midlife crisis if I had just married, had kids, gotten a degree and joined some job. Just having the piece of paper that opens up opportunities that one might not have otherwise. Um, but I'm not really complaining much. So anyway, um, what what did you start kind of turning on to, I mean, it seems like waking up is a strong word and I don't like, you know, always talking about being woke and all this stuff. It's like, when did you start kind of coming aware of the confluence of the zeitgeist that we're in digitally? I don't know if I have a start point. Um, I guess like waking up to being, uh, I guess, a you know, a participating human being in the timeline and what have you um, started fairly young, I guess, because, you know, due to my, you know, cognitive disability, I'd be spending, you know, back in like fourth grade, I hit critical mass with, you know, doing homework for like six hours a night, you know, I was like an eight, nine year old. And so like, you know, that turned into, you know, uh, suicidal ideation and a whole bunch of other stuff um, to get heavy for a second again, because you have to get heavy to get light, you know, um, the, I guess that, that, that got a solid to uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the contemplative nature, I guess, according to my mom was always there, you know, being a very like, uh, mother hen, very cautious, you know, was there, but the realizing that something wasn't there that some people weren't as critical as I had hoped started young. You know, I felt that there was something wrong young. And then at about fast forward about four or five years in high school, you know, I, I, um, I was rummaging through my mom's, uh, little bookshelf, you know, and I found Siddhartha, you know, by Herman Hess. And that kind of like did another early spin <laughs> as you can imagine. I actually haven't read that. It's good. You should, you know, even if it's just an audiobook, I would super recommend it. Noted. I'm all about um just thoughts. So Buddhism's cool. I'm guessing it's about Buddhism. Well, kind of. It it really. I don't think it even really mentions Buddhism that much. It goes over the young prince. You know, like, you know, he sees the dead guy or he sees the suffering, and he comes back to his dad. He's like, Dad, I need to go travel and like witness more of this you know um and so his dad's like no you can't go out there dude it's, it's a shit show out there you know and he um uh and so Siddhartha just literally stands where he's been told he can't travel he just stands there for like 24 hours and his dad comes back it's like are you gonna move he's like no <laughs> let me go <laughs> you know and um so eventually i guess like through this weird strike method he lets him out and he like experiences all this stuff. He meets like a ferryman and like he's taught how to love by like, like a prostitute kind of like a concubine. 
Yeah, I totally lost my V card to a hooker for the record uh, in Hawaii when I was 25. So I can resonate with this book already. And it's funny because it sounds almost like an inversion of what your dad did where it's like, or a little resonant where it's like, there's a lot of shit out there. Just don't look at it or don't join it. Well, no, my, my dad, you know, my parents actually um, grew up fairly accepting. They needed order, but my mom was to the point where early on at the beginning of high school, she said, if you're going to try psychedelics, if you're going to try these drugs, try them in a controlled amount, know where you got them, and do them here. Do them in my presence so I can sit you. You know, it was, um, and my dad was kind of like deployed so often that like, you know, he'd, he'd probably be on the goddamn, you know, aircraft carrier or, you know, calling in airstrikes or patching up, you know, bullet holes. Um, on the uh, cat's away helping the military industrial complex, the mice yeah, might do yeah. LSD. <laughs> yeah, something like that. But, you know, he's, you know, as we figure out how to like get him out of the trauma he's experiencing while he's over there, you know, um, but I ended up never trying it just because I had that option. You know, it's like if you, if you, because there was no opposition, there was no drive, I guess. You know, there's curiosity, but there was never like a deliberate like tension to it. So I actually tried mushrooms pretty late. Uh, you know, I was I was halfway through college already. Um, I saw like <laughs> I had like a communion with like a worm creature um, that uh, I interpreted as giving me permission per se, but I could talk about that more later. Um, Sorry, I'm not sure like where I'm going now. I need to. You know, That's okay. <laughs> Tell us about the worm. Shit, mushroom trip. What happened? For my first mushroom trip, very, very quickly, it was on my 18th birthday, and I was still in high school. My dad, I mean, I was turning 18, so I could smoke cigarettes. My brother was 16, and my friend, who was in my class, had mushrooms, and we all. But I didn't know. My brother had already tripped once, and I hadn't. And we took my van to a state park nearby, and we're camping, and took a bong and shit. And my friend whips out all this like basically shake of mushrooms like like a quarter of it and he's like we're gonna trip nice. like, oh shit yeah so we ate all these you know mushroom you know magic mushrooms and then we start taking bong hits we're laughing and then my friend goes is that your dad and my dad had like come to the campsite to check in on us because we're still barely like adults i'm illegally an adult now and i'm starting to come up and like giggle at everything and i'm like oh my god like being dizzy my dad comes and he's like, what's going on? What's that smoke? I'm, I'm like, I have cigarettes, man. I'm 18. You can't tell me what to do or whatever I'm saying. I don't even barely remember it. And he start, we had hid the bong under the car, actually in a shoe or something like real quick. My friend had done that quickly. Good looking on that front. And uh, as he's going away, I'm like, it's not like there's a bong under the car. But he kept going. And then I hopped out of the car and could see all these trees with faces on them and, you know, having crazy mushroom trip moment. But anyway, go on with uh, your kind of worm okay so for, for mine as a little as a little like context um i'm horrendously cerebral uh and so like <laughs> i have to scope everything out most times before i enter right you know for like a new room or what have you Hence occasions you know i will put myself in danger because of my trying to break out of that um but in this instance you know, I had read some young. I had listened to the entirety of the audiobook for Man and His Symbols, which is 
<laughs> hours and hours. That's the know? only Carl Jung um, book I have physically. I have his whole collection on my computer, but uh, I haven't read it. Huge? Is, is it huge? I've never oh, seen massive. a physical copy. Yeah, no, it's a PDF. It's not. Oh, the book itself? No, it's like, you know, two or 300 pages or whatever. But I'm sure it's dense. I haven't even read it. I just it has it. to be dense because, like, when I was listening to the parts, it's break, it's broken up into like eight, nine hour parts, and there's probably a dozen or maybe up to nine or ten parts. Anyway, so I was I was familiar with the motif of the snake. I was familiar with um, the idea of you know. Uh, Co, the face stealer from fucking Avatar, right? Oh, um, I've binged that shit. Good on you. Not many people have, know about Avatar uh, or Legend yeah. of Korra. So, yes, I know what you're talking no, about. No, Avatar blew up, man. Once it got put on Netflix, a whole, like, like my whole generation, man, was, like, hooked into it. Yeah, you watch it drop live. I'm like, oh, I'll binge this yeah, now. Yeah. yeah, no, it's actually, and what's worse is I got turned on to it because I'd heard a lot about it. And I was like, oh, I'll watch the movie to see if I want to see this. Nobody oh, God. watched the fucking movie. It is garbage. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, anyway, go ahead. So you were into, like, basically shape-shifting so, yeah, snake was, energy. Yeah, like, well, not into it, but I, I was aware of it. So, like, it was kind of like that, uh, you know, the McKennian, like, show me what you have stage, you know, where I was I was like, okay, where is it? I did the reading. <laughs> I kind of know what I'm looking for. Where the hell are you, you know? <laughs> and, um, you know, I was trying to do, like, a mock-up with what I, what I had access to, I guess, with the, you know, Silent Darkness. I had a big heavy quilt and I laid in the dark in my apartment and I covered my, you know, my eyes and everything with the quilt and I laid on my, on my back and I just looked up and I watched the counterclockwise mandala kind of, you know, fractalize. I saw the royal blue in the uh, rest of the colors and I thought that was really disappointing because I hate royal blue. I like the other colors, but not blue for some reason. It's just kind of ugly. Um, and at some point, I don't want to say I passed out because I didn't take enough to pass out. I, t I fell asleep. So I was half conscious, aware that I was... Drowsiness can happen on mushrooms. That's like not atypical. I think on arrowhead.org or com or whatever, they sh like on their so magic mushroom part, they sh see like a rumple stiltskin type troll magic little man thing or whatever. It looks drowsy is my point. So I don't think that's terribly uncommon. Mm. But... But yeah, the so so I'm laying there. I kind of look towards my abdomen, look towards my feet, you know, kind of not moving anything. I just look towards it, you know. It's almost like a sleep paralysis thing. Um, and this like dune worm kind of thing that's black with it's about as thick as my thigh. It's poised over me. It's it kind of looks like a ragworm. You know, maybe a, not a sea lamprey. It has like a forward projecting items to it. It's more or less just outlined, not really, um, not really at colored, I guess. You know, you know what I kind of mean? Um, and so we're like communicating to each other in this, um, almost like conceptually, you know, there's no words for it. There's only like a, <laughs> almost like a computer asking, you know, asking a server, like, you know, for, like, entry or something. You know, it's like a permission thing. So the, the worm is asking me for permission, you know, and so there's no fear in any of this. But I grant it permission, and it, like, proceeds to, um, like, phase through my solar plexus. 
um, and then, you know, disappear through there. And, um, and then the rest of it, you know, I'm mostly asleep and I wake up in a great mood, but that was the, the weirdest part of it. And the, the interpretation I got later was that it gave me permission to participate almost the, the reflection on it later was that it gave me permission to participate um, in the timeline. It gave me permission to kill things, actually. That's interesting. That, um, I'm raising, raising, but... uh, I've done DM the first time I did DMT. I I won't get into it, but basically, I had a Kundalini activation, saw a bunch of Egyptian deities, and just was open eyed and be like, "What the fuck?" Um, more intense than most trips. I mean, McKenna's like stories are cool and intense but not like <laughs> the theosophically inclined or you know like apotheosis kind of stuff necessarily in any event i had this uh spirit come into my gut like you're saying and that's when i had the kundalini activation i was like doo, 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 doo. um so it seems that uh i don't want to say it would possession. have been one for me but, but right if you hit uh, all, well, all the keys at once man yeah it seems like that's the thing i don't know rafael have you ever had anything enter you holographically or whatever on a psychedelic trip um uh, so in terms of emerging not so much i think <clears throat> one interesting experience which i may have shared at one point but it was very brief uh vmt was just basically being in a room that looks like uh, jonathan salters i've been there visionary art image with the pyramids and so on i just kind of knew that i was there i was like in front of one of those or something and some kind of entity approaching me but actually i don't know like somehow like blowing on my third eye or something like this and then i was back pretty quickly when there was, was nothing bad about it it was just interesting it was great like, and uh, yeah, it was a brief stay in that case. I've had some, like, of course, quite a few others, which were quite more extended. And uh, only parts of those experiences can really be put into words or put into a framework that can readily be relayed through the story that makes sense, right? Uh, but then in terms of like merging things, not so much holographically that I would sense it in the physical, or let's say that I would sense it in the physical or have a representation of the physical, but certainly, especially with DMT then, simply feeling to be existent on another density as whatever you're perceiving right now. And then it's a mix of just perceiving something or being that. Um, that of course, I mean, the line gets blurry, especially if you know that you are everything that you perceive. Yeah, well. <laughs> well. I'm curious to see where our conversation will go. I said, let's take a quick music break. I got a piece, so that's why I'm asking for it. Um, and I guess I could have done that anyway, but we might as well listen to music. Oh, and, uh, you, man. Yeah, we're just like, my bladder's full. We just had another podcast. Um, let's listen to this track. It's a cool Chemical Brothers. We're talking about all these psychedelic chemicals. It's a good track that I heard. Not terribly long, I think three or four minutes. Um, groovy. When we come back, let's talk about some of those things that you wanted to bring up specifically. Charles, sound good? Word, yeah, I'm I'm here for it. Welcome back, edition one nine nine. I definitely came up on acid to that in Australia last year. This time, uh, I was like starting to come up. I was like, put the song on. Let's dance. It's a groovy track. It's super heavy, heavy. Oh yeah, uh, they're fun. Actually, the first time I ever turned on a Chemical Brothers song, 
or I'd, I'd heard of them, but I'd never heard their shit. And they've got this album called like come away with us or something weird like that. And I got it. I was at the public library in Philadelphia in like 2007, eight, whatever around then nine, maybe. And I got all these CDs, jazz, rock, all the shit and got this as, you know, I'm just like, oh, I'll check it out. If I like it, I'll put it on my computer. And I was smoking weed and I hadn't smoked in a while or something. And I'd smoked in the car and then put it in. And the first track, uh, I think it's come with us or something like that. It's like, it sounds like a horror film. Like you hear people running and like being like, let me in, let me in. It's like, come with us. We have, you know, leave this mortal world behind. And I'm driving. It's like really, really intense shit. Most of this just groovy like that. That was like meth or something. It was really dark shit. Anyway, enough about me. Um, so tell us, a, uh, you had said a word specifically. I'm not, I'm not really familiar with it, but the concept resonated um, in the green room. What was that uh, thing you wanted to talk about? Cleo Dynamics. Now, do us a favor. Uh, explain what the fuck that even means so we're all on the same page. So let me... Okay, so Cleo Dynamics, basically, if you break it apart, Cleo is the Greek muse of history. Dynamics is the study of temporally changing, uh, spatially changing objects. You know, it's, it's the, the... I guess it's a, it's a math, I guess, of movement. The math of flux. Kind of, yeah. And so basically it's a, it's a proposition um, put forward back in a Nature article published in B12 where this guy Peter Turchin um, suggests that 2012 is a dud and that the real peak of unrest is going to be eight years from then, which was 2020. Um, and, you know, as we've seen, we've had a fair, our fair amount of political violence and riots and, um, you know, the the reemergence of Marxists, you know, as they do every so often. So this was um, a completely naturalistic, like more materialistic, humanistic, whatever kind of model. It had nothing to do with astrology or the I Ching, like Terrence McKenna or anything like that, right? Totally secular. Totally yeah, exactly. secular, man. Yeah. So like basically he's, you know, it's, it's basically the, what the article was, was kind of like a call to kind of approach science, science, Typically, to um, look at the different variables, look at different social conditions, and almost like the ambient factors of your day-to-day life as ingredients for that time period. Um, and if you raise one and lower another, um, you know what do you get? You know what can you expect a otherwise case study experience? You know, um, like. Uh, medieval France or Han Dynasty China or something, you know, what, you know, the common factor being that it's a bunch of structure of human beings. um, What can you expect out of it? You know, when you anticipate um, uh, issues, right? The breakdown of centralized authority, the breakdown of um, infrastructure and law, right? Um, And so, Basically, Peter Turchin, he kind of looked at things. He was like, okay, so the 1860s up through 1870 was kind of a shit show. Uh, 1920s, you know, things kind of flared back up after, you know, the antebellum South. You know, you had, uh, you know, you had the, what is it, the coal miners being, you know, (laughs) beaten to death and shot and killed, you know, by Pinkertons. You had big labor movements in World War One. You know, things kind of dip back down for the United States. Uh, socially, at least, you know, we had the war as like a surrogate for a while after that, uh, for World War II. Um, 
but back, you know, the, the civil side of things came back again in the sixties and seventies, you know, you, you, and so you're seeing these like 50 year civil peaks, you know, about 70, 20, 70, 20. Right. And so he put his stake down on 20 this time around again. And sure as shit, you know, here it was. That's fascinating. Uh, like I had said in the green room, I, I don't know if you know Grant Morrison is. He's an illustrator, a comic book maker. He's famous for something called The Invisibles, uh, which I have as a PDF and I've read a bit of. But it's kind of like what predated The Matrix in a weird way. Um, okay. Time traveling, weird stuff, like very surreal kind of 90s uh, edge, edgy stuff for back then. Um, but uh, And uh, he's kind of like a wizard type. He's got this really cool, um, I'll send you a link to it, this cool um, Discordian or Chaos Magician's Compendium or whatever the fuck it was where he gives like an hour long, 45 minute long speech. Like he screams at first and he's like, I'm coming up on drugs. And that's what's, you know, like who knows what's he on acid or something. He's (laughs) drinking like whiskey Scottish, so it's kind of hard to understand him. But he's talking about like chaos and just weird stuff. Anyway, this guy, Grant Morrison, very interesting character. Um he had a theory uh, that he was looking at and somewhat of a similar thing. I'm curious, Raphael, what you uh, think about this and what uh, Charles just said, that um, solar maximums and solar minimums have a big impact on our consciousness. So you'd have like, I don't know if it was 20-year cycles or what the number is, 10-year on and off. It doesn't really matter. But it'd be like, you know, you have like conformity as like the norm and more the goal. And then you'd have – more and more Piscean mellow kind of stuff. So like, oh, we're going to wear tie-dyes and, and tune out and drop out and all this stuff. And then the seventies is like cocaine and quaaludes and, you know, like heart, um, like whatever, edgier stuff, like rock and roll. Right. And the eight, like the early eighties and then the nineties is kind of like, even though it's grunge, it's still like Nirvana is almost like a weird ass Beatles through a distortion pedal. And it's, it's, it's hard to explain. It's like tuning out, but a little more painful. painful. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's always getting more painful. It seems, but um, yeah, he was noticing these correlations between like, you know, basically like, like Coke and like jitteriness and like, you know, these kinds of edgy kind of, um, uh, I'm thinking like the who, you know, at some points were very mod squad and like that kind of energy. Um, very angsty and then other you know during maybe a solar maximum and then when it's a solar minimum we're like we're like oh let it be live and let live man like you know all that kind of stuff in various forms um whether it's bob dylan or you know um daft punk it doesn't really matter but anyway so yeah i've heard of these kind of cycles um it's always interesting to see even terrace mckenna was looking at novelty spikes with his time wave zero stuff we talked about that on the podcast before uh yesterday even with snore um where there's many ways to kind of look at the nature of time and how it, how we are operating in it. Uh, I don't think it's a – we tend to, it seems, in the West presuppose a democratized reality, I think, more um, in the sense that it's always equal temperament or something like that. And it, it very much might be that there's different kinds of time or whatever. It's a very McKennian take, you know, with, the, I guess, the bubbles in perception thereof as well as, you know, the – physical idea that you know or i think he said it was by induction that you would assume the speed of light was equal 500 years ago to its first measurement something like 100 years ago now yeah which is not necessarily so as i understand it in terms of the solar um minimum and maximum there is i tried to look it up now i couldn't find it i believe it's called 
prepare or maybe adapt 2020 or adapt 2030. Great talks on yeah the solar cycles, also including the idea that if that is true and appears to be, um, that this of course has a huge effect on the climate and on weather patterns and potentially on what land is very fertile or not so much and so on and so forth. And what he's lining out there, which is, of course, an approach I can greatly appreciate, that he's saying, well, if these all these things occur and they are bound to the solar cycle, however, it may well be that your government and whoever else may start trying to tell you all kinds of other reasons for why these things are happening. And of course, as we know with problem reaction solution, and also telling people what they necessarily need to do now, otherwise they're going to die. Um, however, if people, of course, can become aware what these things actually are tied to or at least also influenced by, I would consider that to be, let's just say, very wise uh, to wise up about uh, these cycles. And aside from that, there is um, one cycle mentioned by Bashar, which I think is about 40-year cycles, like every 40 years something would happen. And aside from that, of course, we've spoken about the astrological um cycles as well um yeah so there certainly seems to be something to it and definitely at least to the degree that people or individuals are not perfectly conscious and transcended the collective layer of automatic reality already i can only assume that things like you know tides weather electromagnetic impulses and activities of the sun would certainly influence you know the general mood of the population that cycle Absolutely. you were kind um, of referencing um, with Raphael with the Bashar. I just want a quick clarification. Is that the thing he talked about with the Buddhist art? Um, in one of his talks, he was kind of being like, "Oh, these arts actually are anthropomorphizations of times, time fluctuations in in the ratios of the art." Do you know what I'm talking about? And is that what you mean, or am I just totally mashing together all sorts of weird shit? That seems what you're doing, but then in the end, what is reality but a mashing together of all short sorts of weird things? Did it have to do with the Great Conjunction or whatever back in the 80s? Whatever also, he called yes, that? yes, 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 yes. It would be that, and that would be, if I'm not mistaken, now 88, which was not exactly, but one could say around the... I think you're mistaken. I think it was like more like 82, because conjunction now, conjunction in 2000, you got to go 20 back. Oh, he's not talking about astrological. He's talking about... I forget oh. what they even call it, Raphael. What does Bashar call that shit? The convergence, harmonic convergence. Harmonic convergence, August okay. 16, 1987. So one could see what happened there exactly, but as we understand, it's usually, and one may also maybe take that to heart in regards to all the prediction about December 21st, that this may not be about a singular flash that happens within one second. Although I'm still up for that, you know, again, the SSN is way okay process. With that idea. It'll all just be on DMT mode all of a sudden. It was the idea of a three-day, let's say, collective shared dreams and then everyone awakening to the fact that they're all telepathically connected. But again, they were as a society deliberately set up for ascension and containing all the wisdom and also the information gained from all potential errands can I side item real quick? Say again? Can I put in a side item while you're talking about uh, of course. telepathic connections real quick? Um, that goes into, I guess, the idea of like playing with the ambient conditions, which is something I've tried to play with a little bit. 
um, here. If we are truly connected telepathically right now, I figure there's probably uh, more broadcasting being done in suffering just because, you know, there's usually a more intense feeling associated with it. So like it's almost like a distressing, you know, where you cut the grass and you can, the chemicals you smell are from the distress of those plants, right? Um, and so one of the ambient conditions I've thought about, you know, almost for like a sci-fi pick as an idea would be like, if you get sufficiently far away from the planet, is there like a psychic quiet, you know? Right. So the only issue I see with that, and that's not only referencing the Shadowrun uh, pen and paper role playing game, at least right now, I'm not exactly sure if we really can get away in Shadowrun. If you're too far away from Earth, I think, or at least from a planet, you can't maintain your astral body or something along those lines. Not saying that this is necessarily so now. I would only assume, let's put it like this, like vibration to like vibration. So instead of attempting to kind of physically flee, which anyhow is just one, you know, system of coordinates and is an illusion or a system, a concept within consciousness, I guess it's probably more effective uh, to switch one's own frequency channel. So then even to the degree that one becomes telepathic, because we are already all connected, it's just that we're not very much aware of it and also that for practical reasons most of the information is filtered out right but that just means even more so that that which will be able to um, especially come to the forefront of our consciousness is most likely that with which we resonate with most strongly so i think you catch my drift right so i don't think fleeing is really an option in this case though it's an interesting idea of course well it's not fleeing it's just it's like uh, like yeah, leaving like the city, going to the country, removing yourself from that frequency range, and I just want to point yeah. out: basically, you can't probably do it physically. And then I would just say, at more look at like caverns or churches, particular ones or something. Um, I don't think because, like, at least for now, for most people, like leaving the planet on a spaceship is not possible right now. So I was just wondering, oh, no, like, no, how no, could no, you I'm execute your? Like a... I'm not saying that you know to to do that it's like as a test you know i'm not saying as like an objective or like a telos or anything you know it's um just to see what the feeling of it would be you know like you'd have to almost like probably get to like Ver voyager 2 territory before you you know exited the, this cusp of like electromagnetic influence from the celestial bodies that were directly in you know some level of communion with Well, in, in a sense, I see it twofold. So number one, as far as I understand, humans have a particularly great capacity and bandwidth of potential frequencies they can access. At the same time, because you kind of mentioned the idea of how could it be achieved to kind of be left alone? I mean, although we are here on the planet with many individuals, it almost seems to me to the degree that we can be allowed to be ignorant or just not being consciously telepathic and all of that. This is, as I understand, one of the most, let's say, be left alone experiences that one may have. And what is interesting to me then, of course, is always a differentiation between, okay, with what thoughts am I, why would it even be interesting to be somewhere where there are none of these thoughts? 
And is it really that it's like a psychic emanation of individuals around me? Or is it really actually a reflection of my own thoughts? And therefore, again, nothing I could really be getting away from, if you catch my drift. No, not in that sense you're describing, at least. I think I'm catching it. <laughs> well, it's like almost um, Joe Rogan talks about them. I've never done one. Um, sensory deprivation tanks. I, I, that, what you were kind of talking about sounds like, oh, let's go to the city yes, yes. and let's go to the countryside. Or, you know, like it's still here. And in some weird way, there's a probably phenomenological quiet if you want to put it that way in certain ways um but i think we're so embedded in a breathing consciousness that there's no like i i don't even think space is empty particularly like i mean i might be wrong but it might be just full of dark matter that we don't witness or you know all sorts of consciousness that we're just not tuned for at the moment or whatever the second one was more likely in my view so oh, go ahead as far as like not being tuned to it yet, it's kind of like the, the, you know, there's an exoteric explanation, but there's like an esoteric element to like rainbows, for example. You know, you look at it in infrared, there's a whole other band under it. You look at it in UV, there's a whole other band over it. I think that's the order of it. You know, the, those light, any rainbow is going to have that, you know, that refracted light outside of your visible spectrum as a given. You know, it's it's just there <laughs> if you look at it. So what is uh, the conclusion you're kind of getting from this? Um, I'm forgetting the word you use now because it's just not something I use often. Um, dynamos or whatever, something dynamic. Um, what's the conclusion oh, you're oh, getting we, from we, that? No, we, we... We flew way off the rails for the. Clear, I know we're talking about ultraship, but I feel like we're kind of in, that in a weird way. Twenty one December twenty first, twenty twelve. Everyone was like, "Oh, it's going to shift," and I've seen memes being like, "Oh, the Mayans were dyslexic into the wrong year." It seems with the astrology and everything, now is the time where a major shift. I mean, I just watched this astrologer who's actually coming on the podcast, Christopher Wateki, um, in the new year, and uh, he was like, "It doesn't matter if you're five, you know, two years old or eighty. It's like you signed up for this basically this week to be here." Just the astrology is like, "We're here for these events," and what you know. It, 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 irrespective of like culture, age, sex, all this shit. Now that's a bold claim, I guess. But um, what were some of the uh, we might? I mean, I don't know what your theories on AI are, or you know, social groups. Like, is democracy working? Is capitalism working? I don't know your political theories particularly. Um, where do you see this kind of fluctuation in the Dow taking us, in your own estimation? Um, in the shortest possible phrasing um achieving balance is often an ugly process um so going back to high school real quick um you know the as far as like venturing into at least the the sober elements of you know philosophy and uh the sober elements of maybe mysticism even um I was going to a youth group, a Christian youth group, even though I was agnostic at the time, um, every day, or not every day, but every Wednesday for, you know, the whole school year. Um, and I kept running up against the problem of their claim that God is good. Um, and so, like, I always identified God with, like, the very preeminent neutral 
scaffolding of everything that happens. You know, it's the corpus, but it's not necessarily like a, a positive <laughs> will, you know, or a positive end per se. You know, it's it's the dream, but it doesn't have to be good. Um, it there has to be that dynamic tension. You know, the one minus one. Um, the and so like to get weird for a second, you know, I was trying to embody that in a sense. I was trying to like imagine what it would be to be genuinely neutral, to be a, a an, an objective observer, you know. And so I started, go this was like, you know, about 2012, 2013, probably 2013 when like people kept posting gore and stuff to Facebook, you know, before like the, the algorithms could weed that out before you post it. Um, and then I started looking for more of it, you know, found it on like, uh, you know, four chan boards and stuff. So I would just like look at these pictures all day of like gutted orcas on the beach, you know, for like Icelandic fisheries, uh, or, you know, the, the whaling facilities. Um, I'd watch like footage of Los Septas, like beheading people, you know, with chainsaws or Bowie knives or what have you, and just try to like detach as far as I could and just watch it happen in a neutral sense right um and i don't know if like my generation or if the pluto and cap generation are going to be representatives of like where we're going next but i think it's going to get ugly um it it's gonna be less tuning out and then you know going into jittery stuff and tuning out and going jittery stuff into this like coalescence where it's just this like very steely full eye contact aware of the situation aware of the lenders in the temple um will um you know and the the, the issue will be temperament the issue will be not what to do but when to do and how to do it you know the hegemony at current has a an open an open challenge i guess to do it better you know to to make them obsolete in a sense you know it's the the tyrant king lays his neck below your sword and said you know with like a dead man switch basically you know it says can you do it better you know we saw it in libya with you know you kill him and then now there's a burgeoning slave trade you saw it in iraq with you know, Saddam, where you kill him and then, you know, ISIS springs up and takes up large swaths of the desert. Um, and so I think we may finally see that again here because people are starting to itch for it again. They've forgotten what the beast looks like and they think they can do it well. I think that's. I have a Pluto and Scorpio. So I'm, uh, I don't disagree when you said the um, lenders in the temple thing. That's how I look. I literally, when I'm giving astrology chart readings to people, um, if they happen to have Pluto and Scorpio, which I do, I'm like, we're Jesus in the temple flipping tables. Like it's gonna, in a weird way, I kind of use the analogy of people, like you see, like movies like Braveheart or Saving Private Ryan, where sometimes out of mercy, quote unquote, I guess, at a level like there's people going around stabbing people in the heart on the battlefield being like, nah, you're not going to get morphine. You're not going to survive this one. Like, I'm just going to put you out of misery. That's kind of what this generation's for. Pluto and Scorpio. You're Pluto and Sag. It's the one after. So, 
Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that in a world where there's always like pockets of abysmal hell going on, you know, I'm sure, you know, that's one of the things that the internet and dark web and everything is showing us where it's like really ratchet shit can happen at any point. Um, I'd like to think people start necessarily realizing their connectivity in a way that creates empathy as opposed to like Nietzschean wills to power, although they seem to exist, always exist. Raphael, what are your thoughts on that? On what? I don't know. He's kind of laid out a very dystopian, uh, you know, <laughs> meet the new boss, uh, yeah, well, same as the old well, boss my, thing. My, oh, well, well, in a sense, uh, if I catch your drift, uh, you are right in your assessment, I would say. Um, just it's generally. In the U.S. <laughs> well, I think yeah. we're going to hit a Marxist revolution at, at even, a level. Even, no, no, no. It's not going to happen. Um, that's my. It's only my assessment. Uh, anyways. Um, and even here, I just recently heard that when they made this like elections or something, when there were actual like Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks, they didn't even win the actual election or whatever. I'm not really up to speed on this, but it's well worth getting into it and, and the principles here. So in a sense, I would say that what you're saying exists, the aspect of that it has to get ugly in the sense of facing the ugly. I see nothing ugly about that. That's perfectly beautiful and absolutely necessary. Because if all of those abysmal ideas are not integrated, uh, how can they be neutralized? Simply put. Yes. So, that's part of my study. Right. And uh, that's so you're it's right like on schedule. Work. Yeah, sure. It's right on schedule, right on track, because the idea is, um, again, facing these things, not to recreate them, but to be able to discern, you know, take what is good, leave, transform the rest. Because otherwise, if things are just kept uh, not being reviewed, let's just say, it just continues on the same old way, which obviously has not been optimal for oh so, so many individuals in oh so, so many ways. There, I say pretty much everyone, actually, at least within my optimization mindset, whether I see that logically, emotionally or spiritually, it's pretty clear. And yeah, it's the cleanup crew. And it's time to, you know, reboot the system in a very smart way. And here again, be especially discerning just about what you say, because, you know, for me, I don't need any, you know, grand systems or anything. Uh, but that's also because I'm on a certain level of awareness, just like many others are, but not everyone may, de may be there yet. And not everyone may be at the point where we're like, oh, let's set up from zero, whatever. And there may even, and even I got to kind of understand this and I'm almost surprised by it because I'm no fan of uh, positive law at all. You know, I'm also natural metaphysics and so on. But even here, when you have, would have at least legal procedures and basic, how should, how should I say, liberties, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, America, Australia or Austria is the same everywhere. And then even that becomes disregarded and it's like, oh, it doesn't matter, whatever, then yeah, it's, it's just really strange. But at the same time, I know at least for myself, in this case, I don't think I'd have come here if it wouldn't ultimately have a very positive and delightful outcome. Um, because I think too many parallel versions of Earth already had been crashed and whatever, or humanity has been crashed. So I would just simply say, you know, not this time. <laughs> yeah, hopefully not this time, right? Um, the... Yeah, and that's kind of the, the the subject of my like almost 
obsession at this point, I guess, is like the teachings that my dad brought back from Iraq. You know, he was part of the the second battle of Fallujah. He helped retake that city. Um, he's just recently started opening up about it. You know, he was being a trauma surgeon. He saw blind and different destruction i guess you know it was like a the, you know the, the beast i guess you know that i had referenced earlier it's like you know this elemental property that inhabits or possesses people um and it's like usually it's like this wolf that like lopes around the outer perimeter of your property or territory or fence line you know but sometimes it's like is you you know it's it's like a it's like a much more intense version of um like the this is america uh music video you know where it just like shit's completely completely off rails you know you have people being sent you know uh, burnt alive as a message to the americans you know you have like rows and rows of beheaded bodies and cots you know you have um the current state of Yemen, I guess, you know, the, it's like Twister when the, the wind pulls parts of the shed that you're hiding in off so fast that it's like the solids sublimate, you know, it's, um, uh, trying to, <laughs> trying to like engage that, you know, the project is to engage that fixation, um, and to move it away. I think the, the telos of the spiritual community overall has been almost to, um, you know, like you had said, it's, it's like a, in other words, for, akin to what you said, it's kind of like a revolution of the soul per se, you know, as opposed to a revolution of the sword again. Um, and I don't mean that it will be Marxists. I don't mean that it'll be a leftist movement because the leftists overall as a revolutionary force, you know, their, their goal is to improve the material conditions of the majority of the population, you know, and I can agree with that blanket statement. How it's well, I'm not a Marxist. I was just saying the middle class is gone. Well, yeah, and yeah, everyone's yeah, yeah. starting to be like, Oh fuck. And now it's, that's why it's kind of getting weird now. Yeah. And scarcity is where it gets weird, man, because yeah, like, you know, it's, it's hard to be generous when, you know, you only have three raisins, you know, um, not a, you know, a bucket of them, but, um, yeah, the Cleo dynamic thing is part of that to me. It's kind of like Isaac Asimov's foundation series where like you feel the, the coming collapse sort of, you know, and so like, do, do y'all know the rest of that book? I've read Asimov's, um, or I know who Isimov is. I haven't read any of his stuff. I have not read the Foundation series now. So for the Foundation series, basically, like, the premise is that a scientist early on... Can I can I spoil a little bit? Oh, for sure. So uh, the spoilers, guys, for the Foundation series, you know, maybe skip, like, five minutes or something for the audience, presumably, um, if you haven't read it. The, so basically, the scientist in the beginning almost like a social scientist, like predicts like a massive, extensive dark age where like, you know, it's like the, the Kali Yuga basically. Right. Um, and so he anticipates this and he basically devises a foundation, you know, a group of people that he will seed an unassuming planet with, you know, he'll assume, he'll grab some very capable people, 
um, and put them on this planet in this one area based on this complex set of equations where he can kind of like track social fun social movements and how things are going to play out the eventual degradation of um infrastructure in these places like like Sim City here. Like you know, yeah yeah sim city but like fallout 4 style you know um kind of um where sometimes the cities turn into raider groups like you know what it used to be <laughs> Yeah, Mad Max, Sim City, you know, and um, and so he's trying to cut the Kali Yuga short. His whole goal is basically to set up this thing so that instead of like you know thirty five thousand years of pain, suffering, and ignorance throughout the galaxy or galaxies, you know, it's ten thousand years or a thousand years instead, right? Um, and so I think that the you know Cleo Dynamics, you know, he may have even read Isaac Asimov stuff where. Uh, Peter Turchin, I mean, where, you know, it's trying to not repeat so hard. Um, and I, I guess, you know, there's a literary, literary element, too, with my fixation on the on the beast, because it kind of helps sway people later when you have to communicate these ideas and why they're bad. <laughs> Are you familiar with the Boogaloo, either of you? The, the Boogaloo? I've heard of this. I don't know why. Now that I'm thinking about it, um, is it a horror film from Australia or something? Or is uh, uh, maybe not at all. I have no clue. Tell us, Rafa. Have you ever heard of the Boogaloo? Okay, okay. Boogaloo, no. Like with a B, Boogaloo. Like right? Am I saying that right? Yeah. Boogaloo, like Juggalo, but not quite. <laughs> I'm for the same. <laughs> Okay, so it started off as like a right wing meme, basically, where it was like, uh, you know, the 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 thing where it was like, uh, it was the sequel to some movie, but the title was kind of zany. It was like something something to Electric Boogaloo, right? Sure. So, um, so I can't remember the the, the original movie, but anyway, so that meme, which used to be benign and otherwise um, its own thing, I guess, you know, it's its own secular just very politically, I guess, apolitical uh, meme uh, became this thing, you know, first for right-wingers where it was like Civil War II electric boogaloo, you know, because, you know, we had one, where's the second one? You know, we have this idea that, you know, one's coming, kind of like that time wave. You just feel it. Carl Jung anticipated World War II because people wouldn't stop talking about it and dreaming about it. You could feel it coming based on other people's, like, prescience of its coming. Um, in a similar way, there's this prescience of the Second Civil War coming in some groups, you know, especially among the 2A community. You know, it's, it, that was the whole anxiety of the Tea Party movement. Anyway, Boogaloo started right-wing. Uh, it was basically that, like, if certain laws get pushed down, um, at some point, you know, the levy's going to crack, and all these people that have been amassing guns and ammo are going to start, like, actually firing on National Guardsmen, police, politicians, police, SWAT sheriff, you know, SWAT people, sheriffs, you know, it's be like if you let, you know, three dozen Unabombers out at once and Tim McVeigh's all out at once, you know, on top of, you know, multiple unorganized garrisons of these armed goons, basically, you know, that have like an idea of like constitutional rights or you know, your right to bear arms. 
anyway, uh, the, you know, the, basically it was rooted in the idea that we're justified in defending their rights, defending things that are inalienable um, as human beings, not as men, not as women, but as human beings. They had, they were entitled to uh, the right to self-defense and to their income and to their property. You know, it's very Western in that sense, I guess. Um, and so everything became very shorthand. And so then it just became boogaloo. Um, and so as it started evolving further, you know, you saw them at BLM um, protests. You saw them being very cordial for this and that, you know, and Facebook and Instagram have been very militant about shutting down those pages because they, they gained a lot of traction after people like Duncan Lemp, Brian Whitaker, Daniel Shaver, um, and, you know, some of the uh, BLM martyrs even uh, were killed by police officers unjustly. You know, you have <laughs> Duncan Lemp's probably the, the one that's preeminent in the mouth of someone who subscribes to this. This is another group that I kind of studied in an almost anthropological sense. Um, so there's this like previously right wing now center left right libertarian coalition of militants basically that are like somewhat, yeah, somewhat preparing for the process corrupt or something like that yeah but like in a in a tim mcveigh what are you going to do about it way you know like a like a like <laughs> like they they uh you know, they watch that waco series yeah 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 like you know like malcolm x you know it's like the, when you get too uppity about it, though, sometimes some of these guys die. You know, sheriff office, sheriff office or whatever. You know, um, the SWAT team will come in, confiscate their firearm. You know, th that with the whole red flag law thing here in the states, um, some people are killed in those while they're trying to confiscate their firearms. Yeah, we're so, not as free as we think. I tell that to myself my family all the time it's like i mean it's tricky because i don't know how you personally feel about guns it's like i mean i don't need to hunt and i'm not forming a militia but i guess at some point without weapons you can't and this gets really tricky i don't want to use violence but like good things happen when people can defend themselves potentially as opposed to just like tiananmen square style or whatever this is like that actually, flaming lip song flight test this is actually a basic principle about whether you want power to be centralized or decentralized and I don't want anyone ever, I mean, to get hurt or <clears throat> some people really want that, you know, so who am I to decide for them? But just as a general idea of power dynamics and especially, I mean, speaking as in a sense, still a European, if you will, here almost no one has a gun, at least no civilians, right? Um, so here it's always really like, oh, these gun crazy Americans, whatever. And it also took me some time <clears throat> and maybe also some Alex Jones, among others, uh, just like you say, as anthropological study, but to even understand the belief system and the reasoning behind it. And I have to say, I can understand it. And uh, yeah, I can well, totally understand it. And, and it also includes the idea, of course, that ideally then you will not have to use it. And it will at the same time be an insurance against an overly oppressive government. We know by now that anyhow, these wars are not being fought with swords but with frequencies and ultimately consciousness. So that's anyhow, you know, if you want to 
have a skirmish, that's where you go to, you know, <laughs> overcoming your own negative or transforming your negative belief system is where the real battlefield is, Bhagavad Gita style. Um, but I can totally understand it by now. And yeah. Yeah. So I was many curious, many Raphael, so you're in Vienna, which is closer to Russia than most of Europe, like, you know, um, comparative to like UK or Paris or something like that. Um, and I'm not saying this would happen, but I guess the idea is like it would suck shit if uh, Putin and company decided to just roll through kind of, you know, Blitzkrieg style through Europe and just, I mean, it, if people don't have the option to defend themselves, it gets really dicey really quick. I think that's when really bad things happen, like atrocities, because it reminds me a little of the Death Star, right? It's like, or, you know, in, in the Empire, where it's like, okay, the Ewoks. I mean, they're trying, but they don't really have the, you know, that'd be the equivalent of what people <laughs> would be doing. Like, I mean, that's why people use the nuclear bombs in Japan. They're like, these people will fight with spoons and shit. Like, they have honor codes and all sorts of crazy shit. So it gets cultural really quick, and then it turns into a situation where um, people probably throughout history have had a, a form of martial law in part of their codex, probably. I mean, even Buddhist monks and stuff know, you know, Shaolin monks and stuff like that, right? So it's like, I think most people have always known how to defend themselves and use it as an ultimatum of prevention or whatever, like you're saying, like samurais have swords, but they don't just run around lopping off ears, Garden of Gethsemane style all the time or whatever. Um, and now we're at a place where people have been neutered, probably for the right reasons, because we're all saying, no, we'll give up our arms because we live in a, a marketplace that supports us and we don't need defense, that's the military. But now it's like, if push comes to shove, there's no way to actually defend oneself in a weird way. Well, I take that as like, you know, I take a lot of lessons from the 20th century. You know, um, whenever I get grief for being pro-gun from a European, you know, Raphael, I mean no offense to you, man. Um, it's... As a as a general item, you know, I just like I hear them typing these words out because it's usually an online conversation, um, like over killing fields. Like, you know, Europe was the stage for massive ethnic cleansing, um, as well as just straight up total warfare. You know, civilian casualties in large numbers. The only populations in the United States that really suffered that were the natives for a while. And that was when they gave up their guns, you know? And so the, the, the descendants of the people that sinned against the first nations learned from the sins of their own ancestors. In that sense, I, I would like to think um, in a number of ways, you know, it's like by dicey, like it's gotten more than dicey, man. Um, and I have a hard time, taking um you know anti-gun sentiments or like you know uh civil society sentiments seriously with context in mind you know the the fragility of society in mind it's tricky i've shot uh my i was in texas not shocking my uncle um step uncle or something um is in the army I think he's in the DEA now or something crazy. Um, but anyway, he was in the Army at the time, and he had, a, I guess, Tech 9 or a Glock or something and a shotgun, and we were just shooting clay pigeons and stuff. And it was weird because I was like, oh, shit, this is so much power. Like, I could just tell. I was like, I could end a life. 
Like this is crazy. This is like a weapon of death. It's not. I mean, we could politicize it. And so, I'm so I'm in a weird way. I'm like, it's an alt. I'd rather have a well defended, you know, people that can't get overtaken. But in another sense, I'm kind of Christian about it, where it's like live by the sword, die by the sword. Um, I'd like to think I would pull an Obi Wan, but even Obi Wan had a fucking lightsaber. <laughs> so it's like it's tricky shit. Um, I've never, you know, I'm not all about guns. Like I don't want one person. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if so, exactly. And the weird thing is if you bring a gun to a knife fight, like it escalates, you know what I mean? So it's like, I think when people have guns, then I don't know if they're more likely to use them, but I feel like it just, the stakes rise so quickly that like talking becomes like less likely, it feels. It turns into like that beast within gets turned on and it's like, I've got, you know, this is reptilian brain shit where it's like fight or flight, kill or be killed, whatever. No, I think it's more like mad, brother. I mean, like, you know, it's mutual mutually assured destruction in a sense you know it's um there's with individual firearm owners and users um you know it's much less likely to diverge into like a fist fight which is almost like a sporting event in a way you know it's a it's a confrontation a lot of times but like if they're evenly matched uh i was speaking to a brazilian woman um back in undergrad and she said that like a lot of Brazilians look down on guns because it's almost like you're bringing you're cheating a gun to like a you're cheating you know it's it's not machismo you know not bring you're bringing a gun to a fucking boxing match you know it's like put, you know put it away we're trying to settle this you know um, and so in a weird way the United States has like devolved into uh, a lack of play you know there, it's it's bad play to use a gun but that's usually how it goes you know it's it's not even i'm going to fight you and settle this don't touch me full stop you know yeah there's a lot of growing up i mean it's a collective darkness of the soul so as much as people are waking up i think a lot of people are doing with shadows um even this astrologer like i was saying yeah. is coming on and he's talking about like this whole year is tapped into like bubonic plague flashbacks for some reason i think uh chiron and aries and then retrograde and aries and all this stuff is just like survival people are like oh my god what am i gonna do like and that's kind of what the astrology is saying where uh, i mean i don't know how into astrology you are but like all these could like the grand conjunction right which is not aquarius um but this whole year has been testing the and and killing off what isn't going to work systemically in the world capricorn so i don't even know Sometimes Rafael and I talk about this. It's like this is the last skirmishes of a cabal that is like no longer really even a meaningful kind of like uh, you know. Um, sometimes you hear about like in the Civil War there was like skirmishes or you know going down before they heard the war is over. Well, let me put it like this: like this. You talked about uh, being uh, not not being ugly, but getting ugly. Uh, once any catalyst is. Uh, resolved or used up it is no longer apparent so the same would goes for any ideas of malevolent structures also individuals beliefs thought systems inefficient uh, or corrupt forms of administration economy spirituality religion science all of that so if we choose to learn the lesson then you know golden age coming right up and everything in between all the rumbles and so on especially individually de depends really on each and everyone's uh, belief system but yeah i mean how else could it be and even just from a systems point of view or whatever you have different potential states yeah 
at some point the system is going to be in one state at some point it's going to switch to a different state and so uh, i guess the transformation is readily apparent birth pangs so i look at it and it's weird because i do kind of agree in some way Raphael, you've described before because i don't remember maybe i was in ecuador and i was talking to you about safety or something and you're like oh as long as you don't vibe that way you won't manifest that reality or something to that effect i think people are finding themselves where their karma and their their choices their charts how all these things can becoming you know amalgamation of the present moment for the person witnessing it um takes them so the people who are protesting for whatever reason whether it's antifa people or black lives matter whatever like these people want a certain level of chaos or are trying to address chaos with chaos or you know what i mean it's tricky whereas there's a lot of people who are like putting their heads in the sand saying, I'll wait till this is over. I've talked about this with Haley, my fiance, because she's, I mean, it seems like the world is trying to force vaccinations soon or, you know, all this shit. She's in England and I'm over in the States. Um, and I'm like, I'll get a vaccine if I had to, to see her, but I don't really want a vaccine. Clearly, like I don't want one. So I don't like trust it. But, um, and, and it turned into this kind of idea of, uh, how do we rage against the machine? what's appropriate i think it looks different for different people so i don't want to make blanket statements like everyone should take a pacifist role i guess the people who are going to be pacifists will be living in that reality tunnel is kind of what i'm getting at um and they'll have you know it doesn't mean life doesn't have polarity and you won't see death and all this shit but then there's people who are for whatever reason karmic dna timeline fixing <laughs> shadow work neurosis who knows all these you know reasons um choosing to go to the front edge of the aeon shift and participate with it differently i was the reason i was going off this tangent about my fiance is like i don't feel really on uh, ironically i don't i have enough uranus in my chart where i'm like i should probably be like very contrarian and fighting the system and i used to be i think it was always and this is gonna sound weird i was very rage against the machine and like and now everybody's raging against the machine. I'm like, all right, you guys figure this out. And on the other side of this is what I'm worried about. Not so much. Let's go Molotov the White House. Or New frontiers. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yo, I'll help fix this. And the other side, I don't want to be the one pulling a trigger, particularly at all. That, uh, Raphael, do you have something to to, to add before I launch? <laughs> Got oh. two ramblers on your hands. Yeah. I'm used to it. So, um, well, Jim, if you wanted to be in a position to put the trigger, you would have had to put yourself in a quite different spot that's anyways. What, yeah, that's, that's what Although, I mean, at least, and unfortunately, too many individuals are woefully underinformed. However, if you just listen at the recent hearings regarding the, let's say, questions about integrity of the election, they also say that, you know, how do they say it's even like some famous quote from supposed, I guess, your country, some famous founding father. How is it? Uh, extraordinary times call for ordinary people or something to do extraordinary things. And uh, here again, it's not about pulling the trigger in that sense, but it's really about something very simple, actually. It's just about speaking up. And uh, even if you may get flack, you know, on social media or wherever for whatever you may be saying, just, uh, I guess they say speaking truth to power. But basically what I just mean is that just honestly recounting whatever you may have experienced in this case in regards to the election, but it doesn't matter what it really is exactly. But it seems that in these times already, even just honestly saying whatever you witnessed is a, re a revolutionary act and or counter-revolutionary act, allow me to say. 
So, yeah. And I'll just say one thing, and then you can ramble away, Charles. Um, the South Node, which is like where we've been, what the karma is, don't go back this way, is in Sagittarius. The North Node is in Gemini. Actually, right between my sun and moon right now, ironically. So I've been telling Haley and others, not in the narcissistic way, it's like, come this way. Like, play with ideas, ask questions, be curious, be open. If people start doubling down and saying, this is this is the truth and I'm going to kill for it, that's when, you know, an eye for an eye makes the world blind. And I think we're, we're coming to a point where just like in um, the 20th century, a lot of pe- a lot of things, God is dead with the Nietzsche thing, um, modernity, nationalism kind of showed its colors by the mid 20th century being like, you know, that's why the peace movement and hippies and all this stuff, everyone's like, don't just buy into the script. I think at some point in the near future, probably right now, more people than we realize are tired of, I mean, I'm not, it's not that it's all bad, but it's like, you know, NBA, Heineken, stock markets and you know jackass on mtv or whatever like that culture isn't going to thrive thrive anymore like people want more meaning people want oh, I mean, more it's almost, yeah it's almost, yeah it's almost already out right glad you and mentioned the meaning the meaning so go ahead ramble about whatever you want it's just we're at the end shift this is we're in the fucking wet seats of the, so the, you know, the apocalypse or whatever <laughs> so the the quest for meaning is part of the you know the set of words that i was talking about you know the quote quote remystifying the mundane right um because I was some of the things that I've kind of been trying to like parse together, you know, uh, to steal my own words earlier, you know, to to precipitate the nebula, right, is to um, observe the suburban secular mode of much of our country and many others, you know, where you see this like I guess state of despair, um, especially like. Japan. Japan was in, you know, where they have like several different words for how you work yourself to death, <laughs> depending on the circumstances of your death. Um, the Arcade Fires the uh, Suburbs does a good job of painting this picture for the record, just kind of suburban dystopia or whatever. I'll try and note that. I think that I think I got that locked. Um, the and so the idea for me is like trying to figure out ways to play the magician for these people in the context of the current metamodern um setting you know in the coming apocalypse how can you know it, especially during covid you know some of this mysticism some of this like rekindling people's inherent sense of wonder or awe or stimulation it almost feels like a project of like trying to keep people alive you know with the like how suicide rates are going um uh, you know, for me, it's been trying to, you know, I, I want to be a father one day, you know, in the next like, 10 years, you know, I want to be the old guy who, you know, you come to his house and you know, he knows where the good stuff is, what it is, you know, when it grows on the trees, you know, a, a true like native of the timeline almost, you know, it's like, the, you know, the, the grandparent that brings you to the aquarium. Um, uh, so I've been, you know, I've been learning how to identify fungus to like, you know, pick out from the woods, like chicken of the woods, reishi, um, some other stuff that grows around here naturally. I've been finding people that grow lion's mane commercially. Um, like survivalist kind of level stuff. Yeah. And so 
but there's, you know, we're, we're almost at a level of domestication now as individuals where I almost feel like our ears are going to begin to droop soon, kind of like orca fins, you know, uh, or like dog ears. Um, it's where like you're, you're taught by your parents, presumably not to put things in your mouth and you occasionally sneak things in there like, you know, bugs, snakes and rocks or dirt or whatever else, you know, as a baby before you realize that that's you know like grogu the baby yoda right it um before you realize that can hurt you to ingest it um but now i'm trying to like you know with come back to it to that experimentation um with the added knowledge of like the you know the the information at my fingertips you know i can triple check the identification of the plant I'm about to eat, you know, the wild berries I've just found, the passion fruit, the waxy mallows. Um, my girlfriend's dad grows malungai, which is like a superfood outside of his house. Uh, the chicken of the woods that I've used in like a linguine recipe, you know. Um, it's probably aptly titled. I'm sure it's hardy or something like that. Oh, my God. It's amazing, dude. You can cook it like fajita meat in strips. You know, it's a bright orange. The flesh can be like sulfur yellow to white, depending on the specific species variant. And it is delicious with butter and garlic. Oh, I'm vegan. <laughs> I'm all about it. It's I'm always. I mean, I'm not one. I'm in the middle of Colorado, and it's winter right now, so I don't really have that as an option. But I'm all about well, well, between, that. Between between September and November, uh, we just missed the window, but I believe it some probably grows in Colorado if I had to guess because it grows down here in Texas it grows in Washington State I think it grows in Michigan and you're between all of those places so there should be something for you in the trees I'm about it so I guess um, the idea is that what do you have because what you were talking about a minute ago being like the old wise man who people come to for advice and all that stuff reminds me of the magician card the whole point is this is an initiate who's showing the fool it's the fool's journey right zero cards the fool and the fool goes to the magician the magician's like check it out i'll show you i mean you could say it's it's its own thing but i look at it as almost like you're the fool and you're kind of like looking into each of these dimensions for tutelage or whatever um what do you put your hope in like are you stoked about ai do you think that's not a good look like how do you feel about the direction of possible future timelines basically well, i'm just stoked about the experience in the in the in-between man um what i really get off on is anticipating things uh accurately and riding the wave as it comes you know that that um a feeling of vitality while i still have you know my youth in me um you know, the, the words I give it, you know, to, cause I, I like to give them this nice little like bedazzled, you know, <laughs> wordings for, you know, the, the ineffable vitality that must be felt, you know, um, cause it's, it's ineffable. You, you speak of it, you have to feel it, you know, it's like SpongeBob with the muscle arms, you know, it feels like the spirit's been blown into you and you can't help but walk upright and, you know, you feel like you can walk through walls while a solid, yourself you know it's um uh the full prime i guess you know or the idea of like not surfing but um 
being on like a sailboat in turbulence, you know, as because you know it's going to dip and you know it's going to rise as it pushes over different swells. And so, you know, uh, anticipating that motion and moving with, you know, that feeling of it really gets me going. Um, but besides that, man, it's it's just, you know, besides those momentary experiences, um, it's trying to improve the experience of those around me, you know, try, try to keep morale up, I guess, you know. Oh, I get it. I'm a Myers-Briggs ENFP. I'm an inspirer. And it's like, if I don't feel it, y'all won't feel it. <laughs> so it's always about just kind of like enthusiasm, hopefulness. I'm always, I mean, I'm still more or less a Christian, although I'm not typical in any way, obviously. Um, so it's always interesting to me to ask what people like motivates people. Um, and maybe we're overanalyzing it. The Tao, you know, the Tao, which can be named, isn't the Tao. So I do appreciate what you're kind of saying in terms of writing the swells well of the sailboat analogy. Um, it seems, you know, it's it's weird. We're, you can get seasick and you can get addicted to it or whatever. So it's like stillness is good too. But I think some part of being human demands that we partake in the um, stomach dropping dips and the cresting peaks of um, reality, the novelty machine or whatever. Uh, and I just do hope that we can all kind of be a light on the way. I don't even under... I don't know, but I don't think there's just, maybe I'm wrong, but it's like, it seems like duality is always going to be a thing. And then it's just our position on it changes. And the more people that wake up to like unified duality, basically unity consciousness won't be playing it the same way. If you're, you're coming, coming from like a fear scarcity thing, which Raphael's always kind of talking about, um, doesn't mean pain and death will disappear. That's more of a Christian thing. Like, you know, new Jerusalem. Oh my gosh, here we are. Tree of life. But, um, uh, that's an option, but it seems that uh yeah we're in some really turbulent waters i'm not scared i, I but just based off the astrology i'm like it, it hate to put it this way it's like this past year as weird as it's been it's been pretty stable um I, and i know that sounds weird and paradoxical but it's been like nothing really that major it's been like if you ever see like <laughs> when rioters are testing riot police and like people kind of buck at the cops and like they're testing the line, like where's too far. If I go here, I'll get hit with the batons and arrested. If I go too not far enough, I'm not like making the action happen or whatever. It's been that A kind of police station got burned down. Oh shit. Where? Uh, I want to say it was in, uh, the city where George Floyd got killed. Um, oh, I well, think the police, sta you know, the yeah. police station, like if you look at the footage, the last cops in the building had to be like helivac out as like this dark mass of people in the light of a bonfire, like converged on this building as it's burning. Yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's happening on the internal as well as the external. I mean, in a weird way, but we just have to kind of, uh, understand. I, I don't know. It gets hard for, this is what was part of the reason we have a podcast. I'm always trying to cope with reality in a way that makes sense to process through, but I don't think everybody's seeing the same reality. Um, so I guess kind of imparting, what would, uh, your idea be like any final thoughts in terms of like where you want this doll to go, this dream to go, uh, what are your hopes? What are your fears? Anything like that? And any, you know, parting sentiments. I guess as a parting sentiment, I think the time kind of crept up on us. <laughs> um, the, where I want it to go, I guess, is where it will, um, where I 
where it goes in the cycle. I don't, you know, we come back, we'll come back around to this point. We'll come back around to worse points, but we kind of uh, revolve around, uh, you know, kind of in the, in the yugas sense. I, I really like that idea, you know, where it's all cyclical, you know, we'll, we'll be back in, you know, the, the pain and the enjoyment, you know, not simultaneously necessarily, but you know, the, the big lesson, you know, at all times is, you know, that Chinese proverb of like eating bitter and tasting sweet, not no pain, no gain, but you know, the Camus happy Sisyphus, joyous, fulfilled Sisyphus. Um, he wants to push idea, the rock. Idea. Yeah. You know, he pack bonds with the rock and <laughs> wants to, you know, the, the dreamer dreams the dream lucidly, willingly, and um, not necessarily in control, but in acceptance of what he can't control. That's what's um, up. Um, I'll leave that there for now. Hopefully I can get on again. You know, you oh, know, yeah, dude. Fun. We'll shoot the shit. Uh, I don't know if you want to come on yourself again or have a group conversation about a topic in particular. We'll figure it out. Um, but I do appreciate your interest in coming on, and I'm glad we made it happen. I'm glad you've been enjoying listening to old podcasts. It sounds like you were going through the catalog. Um, so there's some good ones, yeah, I, sh- I, sh- you know. I shot down to the 150s, I think. So, you know... Uh... You gotta ask me. I'll be like, these are avoidable. There's, there's some that you don't have to listen to. (laughs) I'm like, why did this occur? No, I'm kidding. Well, I get, Uh, I get a, yeah, I get a lot out of all of them. I think. That's what's up. Well, we appreciate you. Jeff Barnum wants to fight me on here. I'll take him. Oh, Jeff Barnum. I want to get him back on at some point. He's cool. Um, no fighting particularly, but yeah, I was like, uh, let's talk with anybody. (laughs) There's all sorts of alchemy to be made, just like the magician card would show. So I, yeah, I guess guys, you know, find the others. They're out there. Uh, try to be the change and enjoy the fucking ride. It's wild. But like you were saying, there's dips and crests of the waves and we're on the boat. It's the boat called the Sisyphus. Two or something, and we're on it, and like we might as well enjoy the ride. Rafael, like any thoughts? Yeah, find the others, and also, just as we've done in a sense, reach out to each other. Um, worst thing that can happen yes. is you realize you make a new friend or meet someone where at least you both uh, hallucinate that you've already had thousands of incarnations together, or who knows what. So you know, all that can come out of that is more, you know awareness reflection self-understanding unity love all the good things and that can then also be the foundation you know of a completely new type of society where people again know each other trust each other like each other accept each other group in the way that is you know appropriate and yeah then this can be paradise once again it's weird because the thought of arjuna comes to mind it's like was it always paradise and it's okay just play the game like what are we doing of course, of course. it is it was what play uh, what yeah what play you want a game what game you want to play choices up to you're dragging you. me into like a like a i have to capstone the capstone <laughs> with the paradise can i do it do it and i'm curious rafael what uh, if you're gonna play the song i just suggested or your own song i'm just curious and we can play the song sure it's an arcade fire song so you'll have a taste of the suburbs nice, nice. yeah it's the title track of the album anyway go ahead what's your uh Capstone golden Capstone, pyramid we need, yeah yeah we we need dynamic tension we are creatures built to have something to do or an enemy uh hence the tribal distinctions that manifest 
all the time. You know, paradise should not be seen as something that is null. And I think some of the things that we should target are the idea of skin in the game as the necessary component. So there has to be a risk um, for the things that we attack moving forward or uh, grapple with moving forward. Nice capstone. I totally agree. Well, we'll get you back on here ASAP, and I hope you have a good evening, sir. Yeah, both of y'all. Thank y'all for having me on. Definitely. Enjoy Arcade Fire. Thank you so much for joining, and thank you all for listening. Enjoy yourselves. Radio Pokey, talk to the 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 Pokey, talk